Tonight's message is going to be based out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. With the Lord's help tonight, I'd like to preach a message speaking to both God's dealings with man, both in the wicked and both in the just. And I know in today's world it's hard to look at the world and to see how the wicked and how the worldly seem to have blessing after blessing or continue to enjoy all the things that they enjoy without any, um, any regard for what takes place after that. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to speak to you about how God views the wicked and how God views the just and on how he interacts with both and what we can learn from these three verses and how we should react to the wicked and how we should see the wicked, but not just that, how we should see ourselves, okay? And so the title of tonight's message is Christ Dealings with Man. Let's start in verse 33. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33, it says, The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. What I'd like to do is I'd like to point out a few phrases in particular, and I'd like to break them down and to focus on what those words mean and how they relate to both the wicked and both to the just. The first thing I'd like to point out is the wicked in that first word, or the second word for that matter in verse 33. It says, the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked. What that means is that not only is that wicked individual going to in a sense, suffer the consequences of his wrongdoing, and that being God's righteous judgment, in him seeking to correct that individual to bring him back to him. And that's one thing I want to point out tonight, is that whenever God allows something to take place, okay, especially if someone has done something wrong and that consequence that comes after, that is simply meant to get that person to think, okay, wait a second, is this what I ought to do? Because with this action has come a negative reaction. And so the whole point of Christ allowing these negative reactions to come with the wicked's actions is to correct them and is to get their eyes not set on themselves or set on the world or set on the things that they desire, but to set their eyes on Christ and to see their need for Christ. And because if the Lord just allows them to continue down in that sin, the only thing that they're going to look to is more and more and more. But if the Lord sends a correction through a consequence, he can get their eyes turned back to him. And so when the Bible says that the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, that means that it's on his belongings. It doesn't just affect him individually, but it affects his belongings. All the things that he has are all vain. And if you ever talk to someone, especially someone who's gained all the things that they have in this life through, really, since wicked means or means that aren't right according to God's standards. They'll tell you it's just like if you were to get a present on Christmas morning. You're excited, you're glad you have that gift, and it has a form of excitement with it, but it only lasts for a short period of time. And so all of those things that they're gaining in their life, all those belongings that they're bringing in, 
they don't truly satisfy them. And so because of that, they're constantly looking for more. They're constantly seeking to have more. And so regardless of how we see them on the external and seeing that they just keep getting more and this just looks like God's not you know, trying to stop them, it doesn't look like God's correcting them, they're just being blessed more and more and more, what you really need to see more than anything is the fact that they aren't satisfied with what they have and they're constantly looking for that satisfaction. And something I thought about was the fact that if you do not know Christ, there is this, this empty hole inside of you that's always looking because all of us know that we are created. Inherently, we know that there is a creator. And those people who are, who are just constantly working towards what they want to do, they have that constantly popping in their mind. And one of the ways that they try to drown those things out is they try to get in more of what the world has to offer, to try to push that thought to the side. Because they don't want to realize that the fact of the matter is that they are under God. And the world doesn't want to believe that they are under someone and that he has a set of rules by which they ought to live their life. That he is wanting to be active in their life, not only as a righteous judge or as someone who corrects them, but acts as a loving father who wants to be a part of their life. And so they don't want to have anything to do with any of that. And so they're always seeking to gain more and more and more, but that thought keeps popping in their head. There's something more. There's something more. And even with all those belongings that they gain, they need more to fill that hole that's inside. And so when we look at the wicked and we see that you know, they're getting more and they're, they're wealthier than they once were and they bought another house or they don't seem to have any issues with you know, having kids or any issues with their marriage or anything for that matter, and we're just looking at this outward portion Really, what you need to do is you need to look at it through the scope of how God looks at it. And he sees that they are yearning and they are looking and they're searching for something more. And so if you ever find yourself discouraged when you look at the world and see that it seems like they're constantly having this ever, never-ending flow of blessings, just remember that there's something much deeper that's just eating away at them. And if that's the case, then we as Christians, we have really, in a sense, that filler to fill that hole that they're trying to fill with the worldly things. We have the very thing that they need to fill that hole. They have this desire to fill it themselves. And like I said before, they're going to try to stuff it with all the things of the world, and it's just going to go right through. But there's an exact fit for that hole, and that's them coming to know the Savior. And that's something that we have that we can offer to them. So rather than looking at them and saying, well, I wish I was like them, or I can't believe that God, you know, God's not doing anything to correct them, we should look at them and say, listen, that's someone who needs the gospel. That's someone who's yearning and looking for something, and they cannot find something to satisfy that, but I know something that can. And so if our perspective on those people can change, then when we go about our lives and we see that the wicked are being blessed, we can look at it and say, listen, they really aren't. They're in need, and I'm the person who can meet that need in the sense of me giving them what they need. And they can either accept it or they can reject it and continue to let those things siphon through to try to fill that hole, and it never truly do. But then not only does this curse come upon their belongings, but it comes on their family. And this is something that the Lord uses to correct them too. Because if he can't correct them through him allowing all of these things not to fill that void 
what he'll do is he'll allow things to take place in the lives of his kids and in his wife. And we may look at that and say, well, that's cruel, but it's not. He'll allow something to take place that's a hardship or a difficulty or what we would refer to as a trial or a tribulation to get them to think, wait a second, there's something to this. And so if God allows these things to take place in the life of the wicked, it's for their correction. It's for them to turn away from what they're doing and turn to God. And so when we look at the wicked and we see that this curse affects their belongings, we also need to see that it affects their life. And we may not see it from the external. They may be having marital issues when they're at home. They may have marital issues when they're out and about. And then when you see them or when you're around them, oh, everything seems as if it's all okay. But in all reality, there's something going on underneath. And God's using those things to try to get them to him. And you're that very person that can give them that very thing that they're looking for. So if we can look at the wicked and not see them in a sense as the enemy or as someone that we should despise or someone that we should be jealous of because of all the things that they have. And you say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm serving the Lord and I don't have all the things that I would like, but they're not serving the Lord and they have all the things that they like. We can say, okay, listen, there's a distinct difference between the life that I know I ought to live and the life that they're living. And there's something much deeper going on. And if we can see those things, we can look at them much differently and we can interact with them and we can see that they have a need. And then there's another thing. It affects them as an individual. They will go through any number of issues or any number of trials or tribulations or hardships or whatever the case may be. And what they're always going to turn to is themselves and saying, well, I've been able to get through this before, or you know, me and my wife have been able to get through this before, or me and my kids or me and my family have been able to get through this before. And every time they remind themselves that they've been able to get through this before and they're putting on a good show and we're looking at them and we're saying, oh, man, they're blessed. They're doing just fine. Everything looks good. And really, in a sense, no, it's not. And they know it's not. And they're going through it time and time again in their mind. This isn't just working out. I've had to deal with all of these things time and time again. And they're really, in a sense, getting tired of putting on a show of trying to represent to you something that's not actually happening. And so if God's giving us this perspective, if, if he's giving us this insight on the fact that this cursing, in a sense, that's just his correcting constantly going on in their life in all different areas to try to bring them to him, then we can realize that the wicked aren't someone that we should, in a sense, despise and hate. We should see them not as someone that's the enemy, but rather someone who is a lost sinner in need of a savior and or someone who desperately need something that they cannot find on their own. And so if we can look at it through that aspect, then we can be more diligent and more capable of reaching those people because we're not going to them and saying, well, you know what, I really don't like you and I really don't think that the gospel is right for you because I really don't want you to be blessed or to really truly know what it means to have that need inside filled. You can look at them the way Christ does and that they are someone who desperately needs him. Okay. And so with that being said, not only do we see that there's a curse on the wicked, but if you look down at verse 34, there's another word that I want to point out, and it's scorning. If you look at the first part of verse 34, it says, Surely he scorneth the scorner. And I wanted to get a hold of what scorning means, and so I'm going to give it to you in two parts, because I believe this is the best way to define it. 
Scorning is basically someone who dislikes others and speaks in the negative about anyone and everyone around them. A scorner is someone who quite literally is someone who no one wants to be a friend to because if they were to be a friend to them, if they were to open up to them and share with them things that are going on in their life or to have that connection with that person, more than not, that person is going to go behind their back and they're going to tell everyone else about those things. And they're going to backbite and they're going to talk horrible things about that person. Someone who is a scorner is someone who is disliked, but someone who dislikes others as well. And so what you can see from this verse where it says, surely he scorned the scorner, that same dislike that he is placing on those people, that same really since hurt that he's placing on others around him is the same hurt that he feels himself. And what, like I said before, does God do? He allows that to take place in their life to correct them. I tell the students in Bible class all the time, I say, as you go through this life and when you mess up and when you get into sin, there's going to be a consequence for your sin. And it's as if you're walking down a set of stairs. And as you're going down those stairs, God's going to allow a consequence to take place to get you to stop. Because he doesn't want you to continue to go down that stairs because at the end of those stairs, that's the sum total of all of the sins that you've committed and the consequence that comes with that. And they're going to have to bear that. And as God being the father of his children, he does not want to watch them have to bear that. But even God in his loving Kindness and his mercy and grace does not want to see even the wicked in this world have to go through that same thing. And so if we can look and see that in God's word where he says that he scorneth the scorner, he brings the same pain in, in, this, in a sense that he brings on others on himself to correct them and to change his perspective and to change his mind. And there's one of two things that the wicked can do. They can either just forget about it and move on and continue in that path that they have already, or they can see it as something of a sign. Some reason, for some reason, this is coming on me. It's not karma. It's not something like that. It's something much deeper. And they're looking and they're searching and they're yearning and they're trying to find something. And we have exactly what they need. And if you can look at it, you can see, listen, God is working even in the lives of the wicked just as much or even more than he is in our lives because he wants to bring them in to his sheepfold. He wants to bring those lost in to being his children, to being found. And so if we can look at it the right way and we can see how he's working, then we can, like I said before, more effectively reach those people because we can have a heart for them like Christ has a heart for them. The next thing is that of disrespect. The scornful are disrespectful and more than anything, if they know that there is a God and they know that there is a creator, their disrespect extends first and foremost to him in that they have no regard for anyone around them like we already talked about. But most importantly, they have no regard for the Savior. And they will push and push and push against any correction or any time that God brings someone along to tell them about the gospel, and they will continue to sow those seeds of discord, and they will continue to push people away and continue to hurt people. But more so than not, you know who they're hurting above all else? Hurting the Savior. And what the Savior seeks to do is he seeks to get 
those same two things, that, that dislike and that disrespect that they have towards him and others, and to turn it around on themselves so they can see that everything that I'm trying to do is falling on its head. Everything that I'm trying to accomplish is coming to naught. And he does that to get them to a place where they see that they truly do need him. And if we can't reach them one time, the first time that we share the gospel with them, we shouldn't stop there. We should continuously go after them time and time again because that's exactly what he does. Time and time again, he allows them to be corrected. He allows something to come along their path. And if the Savior is willing to continuously do that up until the day that they die, we ought to, if we come along their path, continuously go after them until we can finally bring them to making that decision of coming to know the Savior. And so if we can see that perspective that Christ has on that, then we can have that same perspective and just have that same desire to continuously go after them until we can finally bring them to the Savior. And so later on in verse 35, the Bible points out another thing in relation to the wicked. Oh, excuse me. Shame. If you look at verse 35, it says, The wise shall inherit glory but shame shall be the promotion of fools. And so shame being the promotion of fools, uh, like was up there already, is that God will bring them low. And so the world has this desire, and people of the world have a desire to get as much as they can, to accomplish as much as they can, to be as successful as they can, to push themselves and to push themselves to higher heights, on their own, by their own means, by their own strength, and they're working, and they're working, and they're working, and they're working for it. And there will come a day where they have elevated themselves to a certain point that God will finally knock them down, and he'll bring them low. And the higher that they've elevated themselves in their own selves, by their own means, by their own pride, the farther the fall. And we look at that and we say, okay, well, the farther the fall, the more pain that they're going to endure or the more shame that they're going to have or the more, really in a sense, sorrowful they'll feel. But that's just the right portion. That's just the right equation to it. Because if the higher they go, the farther they fall, the more that they feel that they've done something wrong. And if God is in the working of bringing them to him, then he's going to allow them to get to a point that he knows is just right, and he's going to bring them low. So he can get them to a point where they're open for it. And I can tell you time and time again that we have probably passed more than our fair share of people that have been right at that point. And all they needed was for us to reach out to them and to share with them what they needed at the time. And so if that's the case, then that means that we need to be more vigilant about who we come into contact to, with. And to realize that, listen, this may be the only time that that open door is there. And if I don't take it, then that may be the only time that it's ever open. And so if we can see that God does certain things in the lives of the wicked for certain reasons, then we can mimic those same things and realize there is a necessity to continually go after the lost. There is a necessity to, if we have the opportunity, to seize it because it may be the only opportunity. And to look at the wicked, not as the enemy, but to look at them as lost people in need of a Savior. 
to look at them as someone who is quite literally all alone in this life, who has nothing. But we have everything because we have the Savior, and so we can give them that very thing that they're looking for. And so with all these things being said, if we can look at the wicked in the right way, then we know how we ought to interact and react to them. But what I'd like to do is also I'd like to talk about the just. I'd like to talk about the blessings that God brings on the just. If you look at verse 33, it says, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. And so just like we talked about before with the wicked, God blesses the just in their belongings. He blesses our family and he blesses us as an individual. And often there'll be a great blessing in our life and we'll just see that God has worked in such a mighty way in our lives and we can see him in a major way and that his hand is truly on our life and that he is working and he's moving. And then when we see that major blessing, we tend to keep our eyes looking for something major again. We're looking for God to do something great again. But instead of looking to see that God brings small blessings along. And if we're focused on those big blessings, then we'll miss all the smaller ones. And if, if we can get a right perspective, not just on the wicked, like I said before, but on the fact that we are blessed, and that blessings aren't always this major thing. Sometimes they're small, little things that really over time make up that large blessing that we saw before. And so if we can keep the right perspective, then we can see that God truly is blessing us in our life and that he truly is working in our life. And that even when we're going through a great deal of hardships and troubles, that God is still blessing us by bringing the right person along at the right time to give us the encouragement that we need, by the right message at the right time, by any number of different things. But there are those small blessings that we have to keep our eyes on as well. And so what I want you to get away from this is that not to be discouraged when you see the world and you see all the so-called blessings that the world is enjoying and the wicked are, but to remember and take to heart that you received the greatest blessing of all, and that was salvation. You went from being lost and on your way to hell, being a child of the king on your way to heaven. And so if anything, you can always look back to that great blessing that you experienced in your life and remember that I have received something great. But if you can, like I said before, keep the right perspective in this area, then you won't keep looking at the world and say, well, maybe there's something to doing the things of the world because they seem blessed. But in reality, they're not. There are so many things going on underneath. There are so many things going on in that family that we do not know and that we cannot see. So if we can understand that that's the case and we can understand that God is always blessing and sometimes in large ways and sometimes in small ways, then we can distance ourselves from the wicked and from having a desire to do anything that the wicked does or to take part in anything that the wicked does in an effort to try to get something more than what we have. And so with that being said, we can look at the just and the blessings that God brings on them, but we can also look at verse 34 where he says, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. 
So what I wanted to do was I wanted to make a particular statement from this so that way we can draw something. But grace would be favor with God and man. And so when this verse says, but he giveth grace unto the lowly, it means that we as children of God have already been given a measure of grace in that of our salvation. But also, we are extended a measure of grace every time that we sin. And every time that we continue in that sin. And God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to continue to give us another measure of grace every time we continue to fail. But I can tell you one thing for sure, this world does not have that same measure of grace. When they fail or when they fall or when that consequence comes their way, they have no one else to be there to bear with them but themselves. But we have the Savior there to bear it with us, to help us get out of that and to continue to follow him as we ought to. And so when you go through Proverbs, you always see a positive and a negative, a comparison with those things that are going on in the life of the wicked and those things that go on in the life of those that follow Christ. And so if we look at verse 34, we can clearly see that we have grace extended to us time and time again, day after day, night after night, year after year. And that is something that the wicked of this world do not have. And so if you have any thought in your mind that maybe one day I'll just give up on this Christian life because it just doesn't seem to be working out in the end, I can assuredly tell you, anything that the world has to offer is nothing in comparison to what you have as a Christian. And like I said before, it will always leave you in a need for something more. But Christ never leaves us with a need of anything more. Because what more do we need than to have someone with us every step of the way through this life? Someone who extends grace to us every time we fail and someone who has quite literally sent his only son to save us, to bring something that is wretched and that should not be in his sight as a holy God into his sight and under him. And so we have been extended this measure of grace that we should take heart in and remember and not forget. And then beyond just this grace, we also see something else in verse 35, and it's the word glory. The beginning of verse 35, it says, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. And what I wanted to do was make a statement with this word as well. Praise and honor. What a Christian experiences in their life as an extension of this glory that's mentioned in verse 35. It says, The wise shall inherit glory. Now this means that you will be commended in your effort, not just by the Savior, but by others around you. Because as a Christian, we are seeking to do all things that we can to the best of our ability to glorify Christ. And if that's the case, then the world and those around us are going to commend us for having done that much more than everyone else has. And so when we look at this word in it saying that we receive glory, that is us receiving this recommendation, this applause for having done our very best. And what does that do? 
that puts a question in the people around us to say, okay, what makes him so different? Why is he able to come into work with a smile on his face, to leave at the end of the day, just as energized and ready to go, if not just as ready to go the next day as he was today, when I am plumb worn out and I don't know what to do, that leaves a question in their mind. And that question is going to continue to pop up and pop up and pop up. And you have the exact answer to that question. So what God will use that glory for is for his glory in the end. And so what you can do is you can pay that glorying that he does in your life to himward. And that you can say, listen, it is not by my own means that I'm able to do this. It's by the strength that I have from the Savior. And so if we can look at these words and we can look at how the Bible lays these things out, we can see that, listen, there is something to the Christian life. We have so much more than we realize. And every time we begin to grasp what we truly have as Christians, there's so much more to understand. There's so much more to take part in. There's so much more to have. But then if we can look at the wicked and see the fact that all the more that they try to get, all the less they truly have. Then we can understand that there is nothing for us in this world. There is nothing for us in a sin-filled life. There is nothing for us to be people of the world. But there is much for us to be people who follow and serve the Savior and who do what he has given us to do. And I can tell you one thing for sure. Whenever you get to lead someone to the Lord, this is just a a side note. It's probably one of the most enjoyable things I've ever experienced in my entire life. And God has commanded us to go out into all the world and to preach the gospel. And if he gives us, in a sense, every opportunity to, by allowing these things to take place in the lives of the wicked, to get them to the right point at the right time for us to come across their path to share them within the gospel, then we ought to take it so that they can experience that same joy that we do. And so they can have all those same blessings that we do. And so looking at the wicked and looking at the just in the right way will help us as we go through our life and realize that there is something truly special to being a child of God. And there's quite literally nothing for us in this world. There's nothing that the world has to offer. And I, I know people personally who have had the exact opposite of a thought. They have said in their own mind that this world has something. And they have gone looking, and they have kept looking, and they are still looking. And where have they found themselves? So far removed from God, in a place that they never thought they would be before, not being able to take part of those blessings of God, not taking part in having God steadfastly there with them because they've pushed them away so many times. They've soiled their conscience. They've almost become as if they were someone of the world at the very start. Now, does that mean that they're so far removed for God to reach and bring them back? No, that's not the case. But they found themselves at the end. They've found themselves at the sum total of all the consequences of all the sins that they've committed, and it's a place that they never wanted to be in the first place. So if you see that the world and the wicked have nothing to anything that they have, but that you have everything in Christ, 
then you can say of a surety, I'm not even going to walk in that direction knowing that it has nothing for me. And I need to bring those people who are constantly looking for something more to the same understanding that I have of the Savior that loves them and cares for them. And one thing I think more than anything is the great testimony that can come from someone who has lived a life full of sin and you leading them to Christ and then being able to recall all the things that they had done wrong and how God had forgiven them for all of those things and how God can use them to go to people that we ourselves cannot go in most cases and bring them to the gospel. So even those people in this world who, have, who are suffering, who are looking, and who are wanting something more, all of those things can be filled, and God can use them in a great and mighty way. And that's one of the great things that comes under the scope of us being a child of God. We get to have a hand in that. And so what I'd like to finish with is this. Seek to be a faithful servant and to see the lost as Christ does. If you go through these three verses, or even if you go through the book of Proverbs, you'll find time and time again that God encourages and implores us as Christians to seek what is right, to follow him, to have a desire for wisdom. And what wisdom is, is it's the application of knowledge. And this book, God's word, is full, filled to the brim and almost overflowing with all the understanding that we need and with all the wisdom that we need in this life to continue to enjoy all the blessings that God has for us in this life and to more effectively lead the lost to Christ, to bring those people who are looking for something more to him. And so if we can take what God has given us and we can apply it to our lives, then we can be more faithful stewards, more faithful servants of the Savior, and we can more effectively reach the lost. Because if we don't have, in a sense, that, that automatic push against the wicked or the worldly, if we're not thinking while we're witnessing to them that really, in a sense, we don't want them to come to know the Savior. Because that thought has crossed probably some of our minds before. I know it's crossed my mind before. It's a thought that crosses our mind because we're like, well, I mean, if they're getting all those things, why do I want them to receive all the great things that come with being a Christian? And that thought will pop in your mind. But if you can look at them as Christ does and see them as someone who desperately needs him and who's lost and dying, then that won't be the case. And it'll be that much easier to reach them and to put your hand out and say, I have exactly what you need. And you show it to them, and they can either accept it or reject it. So in the end, what I'd like you to just take away from is to be more of a faithful servant to the Lord and realize that God's word has so much in it to push us to be more effective Christians, to help us realize that this world truly has nothing for us and that we can find everything that we need and more in Christ. And that you, as a Christian, can look at these same three verses and get the exact same thing. And you can read through Proverbs and get more and more and more and understand more clearly all the great things that come with being a child of God. And you can grow in that desire to bring those people that don't know him to him so they can take part in that same thing. And so with that being said, I'm going to pray 